Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, we're so appreciative that you've decided to take a stop with us today. We are going to talk marketing. I love talking marketing, and I love our guest today is going to debunk some myths for us around social media marketing, and I'm just very excited. So I'm going to let him introduce himself in a second, but I want to tell you, Aaron Templer is a 25-year-plus marketing leader. We're aging you, Aaron, um, but he is also a company founder in his own right, so we're going to talk to him about his business building and his insights uh, to leading that. Uh, and I also will share that I am privileged to have met him through all of the work I do with the American Marketing Association. And so we might touch base on that as well. But Aaron, we're going to pop over and talk to you in Colorado. So how are you doing today? Awesome. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real privilege. My, the privilege is mine really to be on with you and sharing the platform. And yeah, it was a lot of fun to meet with AMA Madison and make this connection. So super grateful. Yeah. So remind everybody who you are, what your company is and what you deliver in the world today. Sure. You bet. Uh, Aaron Templer. And uh, I like to think of myself as a a proud, unapologetic polymath. I have a lot of different interests. I own a a small uh, boutique, but full service uh, marketing firm here in Denver. We do a lot of brand strategy um, a lot of integrated Marcom planning, and then we implement, execute on those plans we create. Um, I just wrote a book. Hopefully, we'll, we could touch on that if you if you're interested. Um, I'm also a percussionist, pretty active hobbyist percussionist. I play in a bunch of different projects around Denver um, and other stuff, whatever sort of suits me. So uh, yeah, that's me. Well, not a lot of percussion is going to be going on in this conversation today, <laughs> but yeah, I let's let's talk about your book. And like you said, we're gonna come back and talk to you about your founder's journey and what kind of leadership's lessons you've learned. But you've written this book recently called Leading in a Social World, Stop Social Media Marketing and Build Social Capital Instead. And I shared in the intro, we're going to do a little bit of myth busting. And so in this book, I know you really caution about how marketing doesn't always work in social constructs and a real kind of cautionary tale around your spend on the social media marketing. So give us a little wisdom and insight there that you would want people to know. Yeah, thanks. Half of the book deals with social media marketing and and really looking as objectively as we possibly can at the data and the research around social media marketing. Mm -hmm. We looked at over 50 studies to try to, you know, really tease out what is uh, and isn't working in social media. And I think that there's a small group of us out there that are willing to kind of shed some biases and look at social media as it is, which is a social construct where the value is actually created through social capital, which is a leadership discipline and not a marketing one. In fact, social capital sort of eschews and you can ruin social capital with some of the same techniques that marketing employs Um, So it can actually damage a brand, if not uh, waste a bunch of time and resources for folks. 
And then the second half of the book is a leadership sort of look at how to build social capital. So this has been studied for a long time, social capital in organizations like businesses and leaders who are savvy and actually intentionally know how to go about building it and using it. So we sort of deconstruct a bunch of, of uh, social media marketing and reconstruct it through a leadership lens. That's how I'd put it. Yeah. And I think, Aaron, there's a couple of things in there that I would say from like my experiences, I've been interviewed before where, where you're like, okay, you know, I don't have a lot of followers or I don't have a lot of people interacting with me. And I'm like, I don't care because it's, in, it's integrity and, and, and my aspect in the brand building, you know, your profile. And I know, because I do talk with a lot of CEOs and founders, they're, they are confused by social media marketing and, and, and they're confused about like, how much do I, as the leader step in and participate in the social media marketing? What is the right thing for my, my brand? So you have this line in your book called the greatest trick the devil ever played. Expand on that for us. Cause I was compelled when I read this section. Yeah. Thanks. The, there's really this question around social media marketing data and who is actually running the hen house. And it appears to us that a fox is running the hen house um, because an awful lot of the social media marketing data that marketers rely on come from tools, the tools themselves, the social media tools. We, the one tools study that want from, you to use their tools more. Exactly, exactly, Allison. They have a vested interest, right, in in demonstrating that that what they're offering you is 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 returning value. Um, one study by Altimeter that we found uh, in Hootsuite: twenty six percent of the marketers, uh, social media marketers, um, tie their work to business results. Only twenty six percent, and seventy four percent rely on the tools themselves to measure uh, success on social media. So it is kind of the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled in that the Hootsuites and Facebooks of the world have us trusting them to, uh, uh, to, to tell us whether or not what we're spending in social media in terms of social media marketing is actually working. Yeah, and that, that's, that's tough. I, I think, what would you tell us are some of the things as, you know, so I'm a, a business builder and, you know, is there anything that in all that data and all the research that is kind of like a myth or advice you would have for somebody as they're looking at their social media um, objectives and activities? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of um, sort of dimensions to the research and to the data. And I've actually got it on my blog. If you, people don't feel like uh, buying my book, I, I excerpt the chapter on my blog, which you can find at just AaronTempler.com. Um, but uh, across any sort of dimension that marketers are responsible for, lead gen, brand awareness, trust building, there isn't support uh, to suggest that social media marketing is effective. Um, we followed uh, we followed several different paths, and and once we sort of peeled back all of the sort of subjective and and content marketing data that the social media marketing platforms are putting out. Um, we found that. Another finding that I think is really remarkable um, is that the size, you know, you know this, Allison, the, the size of, of social media followers, we're obsessed with this, right? We, mm-hmm. we, have, we have to report growth in likes and fans and followers. Um, but a, a study from the AMA, actually in the American uh, Marketing Journal of, of Marketer, Marketing, um, said that the larger the following, uh, they looked at something like 3,000 brands and tens of thousands of fans across social media. 
Um, and the larger the following, the more likely there was to be a negative bias among the conversations that were happening wow. among brands. And the smaller the following, the more positive it was. So there's some of those kinds of pieces of data in the research as well that just sort of subvert our understanding and, and of what we're trying to do with social media marketing. So I'm thinking, Aaron, you know, I come to you as a new client because you do have um, this marketing firm and I come to you and I say, I want to put all this bags of money <laughs> into social media marketing. Yeah. Is, is there a place or a, a channel or kind of a, a wise words you would tell to um, a business owner when he comes with his bags of money and says, I want to do social media marketing. Yeah. If that's really what they want to do, we don't do a lot of social media marketing and we'll refer that off. So um, it just, I haven't, I just don't believe we're generating the kind of value that we want mm -hmm. to generate as a firm for clients. Um, but if they really want to invest in social media, there is some terrific um, studies and some incredible case studies to follow around moving your customer care focus onto social media. So a ton of return has been demonstrated uh, in, in that area. If you can kind of pry it away from the marketer's hands, um, the book looks at a, a British telecom case study where they save something like 4 billion pounds by moving traditional customer care over to social media. We talk with several different people from Zappos who are sort of renowned for their, their customer care through social media. They've got some incredible lessons to learn. They do it really terrifically. And another woman who built this incredible customer support uh, team for Xbox, um, who uh, a lot of different lessons from them around, around using social media in, in that way. So if you insist on uh, to come to me and, and you're insisting on spending your money on social media, I might try to, you know, divert you into that direction. So let's flip to the second half of your book, which is like, let's focus less on the marketing aspect and more on the social capital and more on relationships and, and leadership. So again, go back to like that, that CEO or that founder or somebody from the C-suite. Um, talk to us about this concept of, of leadership and social capital and how that plays out in social media. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So social capital, like we mentioned before, is a leadership discipline that has been around. People have studied it and leaders understand its value and it has value across organizations everything from talent flow to innovation, to entrepreneurship, um, to even supply chain um, organizations that are rich in social capital see value returned in those areas. And it also provides access to privileged networks, which is kind of the myopic focus that marketers mm -hmm. have when, when they use it. Um, but if you kind of reframe what it is that, that, build, that builds value in these social constructs through the lens of social capital, you find out that, you know, it, it's, it's leadership skills like reciprocity and building a community around reciprocity. It's, it's some of the basic leadership tenets that are found in four different books that I, I dissect to kind of find the, the hidden gems of, of building social capital. But, you know, things around credibility, setting up a, a, an environment where you do what you say and say what you do, which often is where marketing kind of runs into a lot of friction in social media where, we're here to, we're, you know, marketers will say, we're here to add value to you, but then they hit you with a bunch of sales pitches a lot. Um, you know, that idea of walking the talk, um, listening and identifying needs of your constituents. Um, not a lot of that goes on from brands in social constructs, especially in social media. It's really about moving people through a funnel, um, you know, converting and using them as opposed to understanding what their needs are and meeting them. 
um, and you know, developing relationships. And then the, the concept from Kuzas and Posner around inspiring a shared vision, um, a real keystone for building social capital where you, where you involve everyone um, and everyone's voice in the process of creating a vision of where you want to go, whether that be a social construct like sharing recipes or hiking trails on Facebook or whether that's, you know, in a, in a work setting. So taking those lessons from these kind of leadership uh, thought leaders and applying them to, to, to kind of the marketer's work um, is the challenge of the book. Well, and Aaron, as I'm listening to you, I'm also thinking about all of these wonderful, delightful MarTech tools coming up that, that are more listening devices. Like um, I've interviewed the founder of Birdie and, and other organizations that, like you said, it's not just about like the social capital and what we're putting out there, but, um, and moving people through the funnel, but, you know, it can also be a very good listening place. And I loved the example you gave, um, of the customer of the companies that have had success, putting more of that customer service focus. Um, and, and I, you know, and it's the playfulness, right? And I don't believe, um, look, you, you and I, we, 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 we represent companies. We also speak, we do events, you know, people aren't going to um, buy loads of product just because we put a tweet out there that directs that. And as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm like ready to put like, I want to put people having a black mark on their LinkedIn profile for just soliciting me nonstop. (laughs) But, you know, I think these things are, are just all very, very interesting. So in your book, I know that you you did, like you said, you broke down a, a couple um, examples of some really great things from leadership experts. So Aaron, as a business owner and as a leader yourself, what are some of the key leadership philosophies that you embrace? Hmm. Great question. Let's see. Well, I think it all changed for me when I, I I worked for a long time at a business school. I was directing the the marketing for a business school, and um, its brand differentiator there was was leadership and a, and a particular type of leadership called values based leadership. Um, and so I was sort of neck deep in in leadership stuff for a long time. I felt like a, a student studying abroad or something, learning a new language, and and it really gave me this incredible foundation. Um, and and this deep and broad sort of deep dive and broad dive if there is such a thing into the into leadership and what I found and what I still continue to find the more that I look at it the more that I study it is that the common thread through all of it is that um, we follow people um, that are credible and that walk the talk so it's really just about an example that you set um, with a team. And that to me is incredibly empowering because Allison, you can do that from anywhere in an organization. You don't have to be in a position of authority or power to really lead. You can just do it um, with those that are around you, that those you might have some influence over, or um, you know, you wish to have influence over just simply by um, walking the talk and, and being sort of an authentic person in yourself and in what you believe in um, and doing the things you believe. So I think that's what I strive for. I try to, as much as I can, kind of shed some armor to use an awesome term from Brene Brown and um, try to connect with, with the team that I, that I, the teams that I put together for clients in that way. I think that would be the, the, the kind of primary thing I focus on. Let's talk about the teams that you put together for your clients, because um, you are a company founder um, for three over four and your business model is um, to identify a really great network of contract 
contract employees, correct? That that come in and swarm. So, um, which is not always the most comfortable place to be. And a lot of business builders and founders, that is the way they're going to market today. So I always love to ask this question of, you know, it's one thing to interview a full-time employee. It's another kind of thing to identify this trusted network of contractors. So any kind of go-to tips when you are vetting, you know, new people that you want to consider to be a partner with your firm? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we treat it just like it's, it, I don't really understand the difference in some ways in terms of hiring between a full-time sort of decision and a contract. We take it pretty seriously. And we a- I ask other team members to talk to contractors, even if it's a really small client that they're working on. Um, you know, we, we do strengths finder evaluations for everybody and, and we uh, come together as a team to, to work on that stuff. We, we have a core team, you know, that we kind of go back to and then have um, a stake in, in, in sort of the outcome and in some of the revenue even. Um, so we do some of those things, but really it's, it's, you know, not treating it any differently for us than, than if, if they were full-time employees, uh, you know, the reason that I do this and, and Allison, honestly, I mean, agencies to one degree or another, all of them are using contract employees yeah. and have for a long time. They just try to hide it. We're <laughs> proud of it. We think it's we think we do it really well. We think it adds a ton of value because we can flex for, for client needs up or down. Um, and, you know, that's why I'm involved in the AMA so deeply. I've got this nationwide network of incredible freelance talent out there. So, um, you know, we put it out there. We we think we, we've got like some strong, independent, creative minds that come from this sort of free agent nation that adds a ton of value to, to clients. You know, they're not stuck to some kind of agency ethos. They're really they challenge me all the time. They they you know, some of them think that my book is like, what are you talking about? You know, social media is super effective. So um, that brings just a ton of value in uh, for for clients. We can. Um, find the right talent for the right budget, for the right time, for the right work. And we're not sort of, um, I would say, pigeonholed into a certain kind of area of tactics. Like, uh, you know, I've I've talked with ad agencies when I was on the client side um, and, you know, ask them for marketing strategy and you'll get a lot of ideas that have to do with advertising, right? So we're sort of free from all of that and we just deliver a lot more a lot more uh, value. But I think back to your original question, I think it's just, you know, treating them like you would any other team, team build as if they are full-time employees. What's, what's the difference? What technical tools do you use to keep everybody connected? Uh, you know, the basic stuff, we use Asana for our project management. We use Google Drive to make sure we're working on single documents. We used uh, Slack to, to chat back and forth. We use Zoom a lot for for meetings. Uh, yeah, we're not really kind of breakthrough. We're not sort of super innovative. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in using what people will use. And if you have to force them yeah, but, into but a you know what, learning Aaron, curve, you know, what I have learned is what we think is, oh, this is like normal stuff. Like just use Slack, just use Google, that not everybody thinks that that way, or, yeah. you know, they, they don't think about like these lean free tools or low cost tools necessarily. And sometimes you, if you can make them work, you don't need to, to go for something that that's more money. I want to know what marketing trends you're keeping an eye on in 2022. Well, I, that's a good question. I would say that I'm trying to drive this trend of, of asking marketers to think of themselves as leaders to try to elevate themselves beyond kind of clickbait experts and funnel converters into community builders, into people who have 
uh, and embrace the responsibility of influence, which can be a, a really powerful skill and comes from the leadership discipline. Um, I'd like to see that sort of elevation then also elevate the conversation we're having around the ethics of, of, of marketing. And, you know, if you take something like Spotify or Facebook and the conversations that are happening around mm-hmm. misinformation on these platforms, you know, who is responsible for building those platforms? As marketers, we, we have bought billions of dollars of advertising for our brands and our clients, and we've propped up these, these platforms. Well, what's our role in that? You know, what, what is a marketer's role in, um, in the ethics around misinformation in these platforms? Just as one small example of sort of if we elevate our thinking about what we do um, for a profession, we'll start to elevate our conversations around our responsibility in our world. And I think that's true no matter where you sit in, in, in business. Um, you know, we all have a responsibility for the world we, we create. And this is what I, I did love, um, Aaron, you know, that you are uh, challenging kind of like the status quo, the way that people are thinking about, about this. Our time goes fast on this show. We certainly didn't get you to uh, show us your percussionist skills. Uh, but, um, but I'd like to ask Aaron, uh, if you look down the road in two or three years, what do you hope the story is that you're telling us uh, for yourself and for three over four? Wow, what a great question. Um, I, I, I hope we're continuing to find, we've been super, super fortunate throughout this whole pandemic, Allison, where we've just found incredible clients with values that we share and we're doing great work for people that we're just sort of aligned with and we're sinking our teeth into their work and their missions. And that's been really terrific. I hope that that continues. Um, the teams that I've been lucky enough to build, I think the opportunities to find really great talent have never been better, right? I mean, this great resignation has given us this incredible pool of people to pull from. So I'm super stoked to see kind of what we can, what we can find in that to add to our teams that we've already got working for people. And hopefully, yeah, we can break through some of these biases around social media marketing and help CEOs that are listening to your podcast rethink where they're where they're spending their dollars and really make sure that it's a effective use of, of their marketing resources. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. If people want to connect with you and find out more, where can they go? AaronTempler.com. It's two A's R O N. And it's Templar E R, like fans of, you know, what's the Tom Hanks movies where he's running around with maps and treasure hunting? Uh, shoot, I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, it's a book, also. The and it's the. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Maybe you can edit this out, Allison. I cannot remember the name of this movie. Uh, no, we but, go with it, Aaron. We go with it. You're... The Knights of Templar are spelled A R. So people always uh, want to spell it with an A R. That. And that movie really popularized that. So anyway, Aaron Templar E R dot com or three over four dot com just spelled out as well. Well, thank you so much for being our our guest and for our our listening audience. Um, hopefully Aaron said something that will make you think or make you challenge the status quo in the way that other people are telling you that you need to proceed with your social media. And I think there is certainly not a cookie cutter or a one size fits all for all of the companies and all of the brands. So I'm sure Aaron would love to talk with you more about it. Uh, until then, I encourage you to keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Aaron, thank you again. Thank you, Allison. Real thrill. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.
To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.